Hello, romance book lovers. Welcome to Tales from the Heart. I'm Jenna Hart, and each week I post new episodes from my stories of crime and passion. Right now, we're listening to Old Flames Never Die, book two of the Valentine Mysteries. This week is episode eight, chapter 13, where Tess and Daniel go on the hunt for whoever killed Charles Danforth and possibly tried to kill her. And we ponder Jack's whereabouts. Now, if you'd like to read along or get ahead in the story, you can get Old Flames Never Die from your favorite ebook retailer or save by buying direct from me. You can visit jennahart.com forward slash valentine for all the information and links. Now, Old Flames Never Die is the second book in the Valentine Mystery series. So if you missed book one, Deadly Valentine, you can listen by checking earlier episode postings. Or if you'd like to read it, you can get the book for free at my website, jennahart.com. Now, Tales from the Heart is posted to podcast platforms and YouTube each week. These episodes are edited to censor out the more intimate content. But if you'd like to have a version that includes the spicy bits, plus get early access to the episodes, behind-the-scenes information about the stories, bonus content, and more, please join me over at reamstories.com. You can learn more at reamstories.com forward slash Jenna Hart. Now, never miss the mystery or romance by hitting the subscribe button. And remember that all the details and links you might need are just a click away in the description. Now, snuggle up, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Chapter 12 I'm Not Dead Tess's car came to a stop in a field. Somehow it landed upright, and she was still strapped into her seatbelt. Disoriented, she thought maybe she was turned around and now facing the direction she'd been driving but couldn't be sure, because the spiderweb cracks in her windows made it impossible to see out. She was alive, but her relief was short-lived when she remembered the truck. Her heed snapped up, causing every muscle in her body to scream. But it didn't matter. She didn't want to be sitting in her car if the person in the truck was coming back. She heard yelling and turned to look out the passenger side window. The distorted image of a man ran toward her. Oh, God. She frantically worked to get her seatbelt unclasped. It was no use. It was jammed, and the man was too close. Jesus, are you all right? Wow! No, no, no. Tess could hear herself chant as she yanked and pulled on the belt. Don't move! You might make it worse. I've called 911. Just sit tight! It finally sank in that the man wasn't a would-be murderer, but instead, a good Samaritan. Are you hurt? Of course you're hurt, but I mean your neck and back. How do they feel? You should just sit still. He rambled as he yanked her car door open. She took a deep breath that hurt like hell and then simply sat. I think I'm okay. It was the truck, wasn't it? It damn near drove me off the road, too. Did you see it? The person? The plate? Are you kidding? It was going way too fast. I've never seen a vehicle move that fast outside of NASCAR. She got her first good look at the man and thought he looked like the farmer in Grant Wood's American Gothic, except her would-be hero's expression was panicked, not stern. You know on the outside, you look pretty good, the man said. You've got a little cut on your forehead. I guess airbags really do make a difference. She supposed she should be glad she looked good on the outside because the inside didn't feel so great. But she was lucky it wasn't worse. In the distance, Sirens blared. Look, look, here's the rescue squad. Thank you for helping me, Tess managed. 
but the man had already moved away so that paramedics could treat her. Could have been worse. The emergency room doctor's words replayed in her mind. Fortunately, after being poked, prodded, and tested, it was determined that Tess's injuries consisted of a few superficial cuts and bruises. She gave a statement to a Bucks County deputy sheriff and was finally ready to leave the hospital. Except she didn't have a car. Just her luck. In the last three months, she lost her house and office. And now her car. She wondered if she'd lost her man, too, since Jack still hadn't called her back. Pulling her phone from the purse that survived the accident unscathed, she called his cell number again and got his voicemail. Again. She left a message. Again. And worried. Again. Was he hurt? Was he done with her? Where was he? She decided to try his office. Hi, Mrs. Stoffer. It's Tess. Is Jack available? There was a pause. Mr. Valentine isn't in today. He went up to Northern Virginia, I think, to visit Ms. Peterson. He'd left town? Tess's heart sank. He'd gone to visit Cora before, but he'd always told her where he was and when he'd be back. Not wanting Mrs. Stoffer to know she was out of the loop where Jack was concerned, she said, Oh, that's right. I completely forgot. Mr. Chancellor's here. He might know more about Mr. Valentine's plans. That was weird, too. Why would Brad be in Jefferson Tavern? Had Jack left town for good? Without her? No, that's okay. Tess swallowed the lump in her throat. I'm going to miss him, Mrs. Stoffer said. But I can't blame him. If I had a choice, I'd leave, too. Tess rubbed the pain in her chest that had nothing to do with her accident. She thanked Mrs. Stoffer and ended the call. She tried not to dwell on the worst-case scenario. Surely Jack would let her know what was going on. She could only hope that when he did talk to her, he would include her in his new plans. Since Jack couldn't help her, her only choice was to call Daniel. She made the call brief, telling him she'd had an accident, needed a change of clothes to replace the ones the paramedics ruined, and a ride. She hung up before he could interrogate her. What the hell? Daniel stormed into the little emergency area of the hospital. I'm fine. Just a few bumps and bruises. Someone tried to kill you. But he didn't. Did you bring me some clothes? He gave her an annoyed look. Before either of them could say more, Shelby Worthington breezed in. I come bearing gifts. It was Tessa's turn to look annoyed. Married to Daniel's cousin Philip, Shelby was the quintessential trophy wife and the last person Tess needed to deal with. I must say, Tess, you have fabulous taste in underwear. Who'd have thought? Shelby handed a small overnight bag to Tess. Tess took the bag, but kept her eyes on Daniel. He gave her a sheepish smile. Mom is working and I wasn't comfortable going through your things. So, what happened? Shelby asked. Someone ran me off the road. Tess opened the bag, curious as to what Shelby picked for her. On purpose? Tess nodded. Yes. Wow. Was it Liv Danforth? No doubt she wants you out of the way. Why would you say that? Daniel asked. Because everyone knows she needs a new sugar daddy now that she got rid of her husband. You think she killed her husband? Tess asked. Everyone knows she did. 
There's no evidence to support that? Daniel shook his head. He's dead, isn't he? Very. But there is nothing that links her to the crime. She did it! Shelby waved her hand as if to brush Daniel's comment away. Charles was going to leave her. No way she'd allow that. What do you mean Charles was going to leave her? Tess asked. Shelby looked at Tess and then Daniel as if they were the two biggest dummies on earth. He's got a new woman from Tennessee or Kentucky or someplace like that. Turns out the horses weren't the only things breeding when they got together. Teresa Cromwell was from Tennessee. How do you know this? Daniel rested his hands on his hips as he stared in confusion at his cousin-in-law. Everyone knows it. Like who? I heard it from Monica Snowden. How would she know about Charles Danforth's personal life? Her husband introduced them, Shelby said matter-of-factly. How do you not know this if you're investigating it? None of Danforth's friends have indicated he was leaving Liv. Why would Monica Snowden know? Shelby shrugged. I don't know. Maybe from the other woman. Just because Charles doesn't kiss and tell doesn't mean she doesn't. She had a point. Tess knew from Daniel that Teresa Cromwell would be coming to the funeral and that he thought there was an affair between her and Danforth, so Shelby's gossip could have some truth to it. Shelby's phone beeped. Oh, that's Lauren, she said, looking at the text. She's redoing her kitchen, and I said I'd stop by to help her with ideas, so I've got to run. She put her phone back in her purse. By the way, Tess, where do you get your lingerie? I'm sure Philip wouldn't mind my picking up some. Caserdiers. In the historic area? Yes. Maybe after I visit with Lauren, I'll stop by. Tess watched her go, and then turned to Daniel. I asked her to get your stuff just so I wouldn't have deal with your lingerie, and yet... Really? You thought Shelby was discreet? How was I supposed to know you wore couture undergarments? Couture, that's what she called it. He shuddered. What started out as amusing was quickly becoming uncomfortable. Daniel must have thought so, too, as he said, So do you know who tried to kill you? No. But I did get some interesting information in Bucks County. I think we need to talk to Wilson again. We? No, not we. Me. You're going home to rest. I don't want to rest. I want to find out who tried to kill me. His eyes narrowed. Where's Jack? He'll haul you home. He's visiting Cora. He studied her for a moment. You haven't told him about the accident? No, I, I left him a message to call, but didn't mention the accident. That seems like something I should tell him in person. I doubt he'd see it like that. I'm fine. Can we just get on with the investigation? I shouldn't do this. He shook his head. He did that a lot. I'm part of this now. Personally, part of it. Hiding won't change that. We need to visit Danforth's son first, then we'll go to see Wilson. They bypassed the house when they arrived at the Danforth property and instead headed to the barn area and guest house. Are they staying at the guest house? Tess sat in the passenger seat of Daniel's cop SUV. No. I want to see what sort of vehicles are parked here and if you recognize any of them. Chances are good that whoever tried to kill you is involved in Danforth's murder. Do you buy Shelby's idea that it was Liv? 
I don't know, although I do want to talk to Liv about where she was this morning. What about Shelby's claim that Charles was leaving Liv? Shelby likes to gossip, but she's nearly always right. I plan to talk to Monica Snowden before I talk with Teresa Cromwell. Tess nodded. Daniel pulled up and parked next to the row of trucks. I'm not sure I can identify the truck, and I know I can't identify the driver. Doesn't hurt to look, he said. Tess scanned the line of trucks parked outside the barn and realized finding her assailant would be impossible. Do you suppose that black is the most common truck color in Virginia? He shrugged. His features looked grim as they looked over the trucks, three of which were black, like the truck that had driven her off the road. Let's at least find out who owns these. You wait here. Why don't I come with you? Maybe my appearance will cause someone to slip up. He took a deep breath. Why do you make it so damn hard to keep you safe? They aren't going to try anything now, not with you here. They found Tanner Rogers, Charles Danforth's foreman, in the barn's office. Any word on Mr. Danforth's murder? He asked. We're pursuing several leads, Daniel replied. I was wondering if you could tell me who owns the vehicles parked by the barn. Tanner's brows drew together. Is there something wrong with them? It's part of a related investigation. They belong to some of the guys who work here. Can you give me their names and which vehicles they own? Daniel pulled out his notepad and pen. Tanner shrugged. I guess so. He followed them out to where the trucks were parked. This one is mine. He pointed to the first black one. What time did you arrive here today? Daniel asked. About 6.30. Have you been here the whole time? He shifted, kicked a dry piece of manure with his booted foot. I had some errands this morning. Where? Where? What's going on? It's just a routine question. Mrs. Danforth called and wanted to meet about the horses. She asked that I pick her up and bring her here. Tess studied him, trying to figure out if he was the one who tried to kill her. What time was that? About nine, I guess. I'm not sure. She'll verify that? Daniel asked. Sure. Why wouldn't she? But Tess could hear the nervousness in his tone. Is she still here? I don't know. She went down to the house to meet with Boone about some work on the house. Did you happen to go to Bucks County today? Daniel hammered away at Tanner. Bucks County? Why would I go down there? What about the other trucks? That's Boone's. He's had some errands earlier today, but has been here most of the afternoon. You can find him at the main house. And that one is Joe Gleason's. He's been here all day since about nine this morning. Daniel didn't stop Tanner when he got to the trucks that weren't black, and instead let him give information about everyone at the farm. Tess understood that having information about who worked at the farm could still help the investigation, even if it didn't give them any clue as to who tried to kill her. When Daniel was done speaking with Tanner, he escorted her back to his SUV and drove them both to the main house. Will you be all right if she's still here? Daniel parked in the drive of the Danforth home. I'm not worried about Liv. The line on Daniel's forehead grew more pronounced with worry. Jack might be a good guy, but I wouldn't underestimate Liv if I were you. Do you know something I don't? No. She just strikes me as a woman that goes after what she wants and many people get hurt along the way. 
Tess nodded. He was probably right. You're sure you're up to this? He asked again as they stepped to the door. Yes. Kevin Danforth, Charles's son, answered the door. He looked bored, not like a son grieving the murder of his father. Mr. Danforth, I'm Detective Showalter, and this is Tess Madison. Kevin Danforth nodded and let them in the house. We're in the living area. He lifted his arm to show them the direction. Tess followed Daniel through the foyer into the living area. She knew Jack had been in the house before, probably in the living area. She wondered if he'd been in any of the other rooms of the house, but then quickly shook the thought out of her head. No sense in making herself crazy over an old girlfriend. This is my wife, Roberta. Tess looked across the room to the woman sitting in a wingback chair. It took a moment for the woman's head to turn in their direction, and another moment for her eyes to track to them. But once she saw them, she lifted a glass of clear liquid to them. Welcome to Ches Danforth. I don't think that's her first drink of the day, Tess whispered to Daniel. Nor the second, he replied. Tess wasn't sure how Roberta was able to remain in the chair. Her movements were floppy, as if all her bones had been disintegrated by the alcohol. Can I get you a drink? Kevin asked. No, thank you. Tess took her eyes off Roberta to scan the rest of the room. There was no sign of Liv. She wasn't sure if she was relieved or disappointed. She'd been looking forward to confronting the woman who couldn't seem to keep her lips off Jack. Are you any closer to finding my father's killer? We've got some good leads, but we still have some questions. I'm hoping you can help. I'll try. Can you tell us where you were Saturday morning? You think I did it? Kevin's tone sounded more amused than worried or offended. It's standard that we ask, Daniel said. I was on a retreat. Kevin moved to a cabinet and pulled out a bottle of amber-colored liquor. Retreat? Daniel asked. Yes. Once a month, I go away for the weekend. He poured the liquid in the glass, drank it in a single gulp, and then poured another shot before putting the bottle back. Where do you go? Mommy, dearest, Roberta slurred. Kevin closed his eyes, and Tess wondered if he was hoping she'd be gone when they opened. He didn't get his wish. I've been thinking of taking a more permanent retreat. He glared at his wife. This time I went to the Poconos. Other times I've gone sea fishing. Occasionally I head to Vegas. But last Saturday you were in the Poconos? Tess could tell by Daniel's tone he was skeptical. It wasn't a place someone with Kevin's taste would choose to visit. Atlantic City seemed more his style. It's not exotic, but it's a way. He turned again to his wife, who was occupied with trying to pick up a piece of ice floating in her glass. What kind of relationship did you have with your father? Not great. Did you argue? No. To argue would mean he'd have to make an effort to care. He didn't care about you? He didn't care about anyone. Kevin didn't seem bothered by his father's behavior. Or maybe he was just resigned to it. She knew what that was like. She'd learned a long time ago her parents would never be the loving ones usually depicted on TV. When was the last time you talked to him? Daniel asked. I saw him in February at my grandfather's funeral. We didn't speak, though. We haven't spoken in years. Did you have a falling out? Tess asked. No. 
Basically, I'm a disappointment to him. He thinks I'm a slacker, and I suppose I am. But I can afford to be. Kevin took a seat on the couch, but didn't offer one to Tess or Daniel. She couldn't determine if that was on purpose or if he didn't have any manners. She suspected the latter. By slacker, you mean... I don't work. I live off my ancestors' great fortune. Kevin held his glass up, as if to honor those who'd earned the money that allowed him to live a spoiled, rich life. Tess hadn't had an opinion of Kevin one way or the other until that moment. At his comment, she immediately disliked him. She could see why his father was not only disappointed in him, but chose to avoid him. I figure if I worked, I'd be taking a job from someone who really needed it, especially in this economy. I'm doing someone a favor by staying out of the workforce. Tess wanted to gag. She looked at Daniel, and while he tried to keep his face unreadable, she could see he wasn't impressed with Kevin's sacrifice either. Do you know about his relationship with Mrs. Danforth? My mother or his current wife? Both. Once he and my mother divorced, it was like they'd never even met. As far as I know, they haven't talked since I got married. Do you know about his current wife? Ha! Huh! Roberta exclaimed. Tess thought she was smirking as she lounged back in the chair, popping an ice cube into her mouth. Kevin rolled his eyes. I suspect they were married in name only. Why would you say that? Because my father eventually loses interest in everyone. When that happens, he simply disengages, lives his life doing what he wants. If you don't talk to your father, how do you know if he's lost interest? Tess asked. I know my father. He's the same with his projects. Kevin used air quotes at the word projects. He acts like he's a big deal businessman, but they're all hobbies that mostly lose money and eventually he walks away from them. Can you give an example? Tess asked. My father at various times in his life owned restaurants, started a real estate flipping business, tried to be a pro golfer. You get the picture. Currently, he's trying to breed the next secretariat. And his latest project was some development south of here. Although I understand all the building has stopped. There's a big surprise. Do you know anything about his relationship with the development partner? Tess asked. No, except that it's probably taken the same course as all dad's relationships. My father is really into people and projects at first. They're like these big, shiny toys. But then the novelty wears off, and he simply ignores them. Back to Liv Danforth, do you have any reason to think she may have been involved in your father's murder? Daniel asked. Liv? I doubt it. Why would she? You tell me. Spouses kill for passion and money, right? Well, there was neither here. What do you mean? Any woman would love to be in Liv's position. She's got a husband with a big trust who doesn't care what she does with it or with herself. As long as she lets him do his thing, she can do whatever she wants. Some women would like love, maybe a family, Tess suggested. Have you met Liv? Kevin asked. No, she was about the money. What about the money? You said people kill for passion and money, but there wasn't either. But there was money unless the trust is drying up, Daniel asked. He would have made her sign a prenup. No, she gets more money being married to him than having him dead. The foreman said she was here. Has she moved back to the house? Daniel asked. Kevin shook his head. She stopped by this morning because she's doing some work in her bathroom. New tile or something. I don't know. 
She came in, barely acknowledged us, and then went to her room. Daniel's brows grew together. How long was she here? She left about one or so, I think, I'm not sure. Was she here the whole time? Kevin gave Daniel an exasperated look. I don't know. I assume so, but we tend to stay out of each other's way. It almost sounds like you don't like each other. It actually sounded a lot like Tessa's parents. I don't like my dad, and by extension, her, Kevin said. Liv Danforth hinted that your father wasn't faithful, Daniel said. Any idea who his mistresses were? Kevin shook his head. I have no idea. Do you know Teresa Cromwell? Daniel asked. No. Daniel studied Kevin for a moment. Well, I guess that is it for now. Do you need to talk with Roberta? They all looked to find her curled in a fetal position. The scene was accentuated by a loud snore. We can talk to her later. Thank you so much for listening to this episode from Tales from the Heart. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back to find out what happens next. What will Tess and Daniel learn from Wilson when they go talk to him? And where the heck is Jack? Why hasn't he called Tess back? Remember, you can listen to full uncensored episodes over at reamstories.com forward slash Jenna Hart. And if you'd like to read along or get ahead in the story, you can get Old Flames Never Die from your favorite ebook retailer or save by buying direct from me. All the details and links you might need are just a click away in the description. Don't miss the next episode. Hit the subscribe button so you know when it's posted. And thank you again for listening. Until next time, this is Jenna Hart wishing you peace, love, and happily ever after.